Good afternoon, listeners. This is the Dogs Programme. The Australian Council for Defence of Government Schools are here every week to defend and promote public education. And that's education, of course, it's public in purpose and outcome. Above all, it is public in access, not just to uh, students, although they're the most important thing, of course, but also to teachers and other employees, even the cleaners. There should be no discrimination in employment or in enrolment in our public system. Uh, as well as that, they should be publicly owned and controlled, and they are the only schools that can possibly be publicly accountable. So much that is going wrong in our governance of this country at the moment is because there has been privatisation after privatisation, and education is no exception. We are in the middle of an attempt to privatise education, uh, both in this country and in other countries as well, like the United States with their charter school movement, and the dogs are here to resist it and to warn. And everything that we have said would happen back in the 1960s is in fact happening now. Now, Andy and Dale are going to read us a very interesting article from The Guardian because... Uh, because the private schools are just running everybody ragged when it comes to funding. And even Mr Gonski, that very important person who Mr, who Julie uh, Gillard put in control of uh, an inquiry some decade ago, his requirements or his, his uh, suggestions have come to naught. So the Gonski dream, how can governments restore funding and trust to public education, is the article that we're going to hear from Dale and Andy. Over to you, Dale. Thanks, Jean. The article I've got here is by Jordan Beasley and Caitlin Cassidy, and it's part of the Gutting of Gonski series. The Gonski dream, how can governments restore funding and trust to public education? Experts say Australia's leaders need to change the narrative on public schools and make a clear case for funding private ones. When Greater Shepparton Secondary College was first announced, it was described by Victoria's then Education Minister as the most important education project in the region's history. The goal was to restore trust in the public system and improve student outcomes by merging the regional city's four underfunded public high schools into one $140 million super school, complete with rooftop gardens, a gymnasium and a STEM hub. But 18 months after the school opened, that goal is still a work in progress. Parents need to be confident in what we can offer their students, says the college's principal, Barbara O'Brien, and that will happen as we prove we can provide the same outcomes, results and opportunities, even better in some respects because of the breadth of subjects we can offer. Experts say funding is a crucial part of the puzzle to achieving education equality, but not the silver bullet. They urge governments to also take steps to restore parents' trust in the public system and stem the growing concentration of disadvantage. Our kids can't wait any longer, says Green's Senator Penny Orman Payne. We can't continue to pretend that fairness is central to our national identity when our public school system is on the brink of collapse and elite private schools are swimming in cash. 
the federal government is working on a review of the education system before setting a new national schools reform agreement next year and has committed to getting every school to 100% of its schooling resource standard, the SRS, the fair funding level proposed under the Gonski reforms. The Education Minister, Jason Clare, says there is a crucial gap that needs to be filled. By the end of this decade, all non-government schools will come down to 100% of the SRS, because some are above it, a lot of them are above it, but apart from the ACT, no government school will be, that is, at 100% of the SRS. So the former New South Wales State Education Minister Adrian Piccoli says the onus is on the federal governments to increase its contribution to public schools from the current 20% because it has greater taxation powers than the states. That's why you get this disproportional increase because the Commonwealth are increasing their funding, but they fund non-government schools more than they fund government schools. So of course, the non-government funding goes up more than the government school funding goes up. He says the federal government should fund public schools at the same proportion it funds private schools. It could be 50-50 or that the Commonwealth funds 80% of all students, he says. The Australian Education Union has also called for the federal government to lift its cap from next year, but to a more conservative 25%. It also urged the government to fully fund schools according to their SRS by 2028. But Orman Payne says lifting the Commonwealth contribution to 25% is not enough. Another 5% won't close the gap in the Northern Territory, where public schools are underfunded by more than 20%, or in Queensland, where they're being shortchanged by over 10%. The former Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull says the reason his government set the federal contribution at 20%, which was an increase from 17%, was to hold the states to contributing at least 75%. Otherwise, you get a zero-sum game where the Commonwealth puts in more and the state just takes money out the back end, he says. Boosting Confidence As the example of Shepparton shows, restoring parents' confidence in public education requires more than just a funding increase. O'Brien says the facilities in the amalgamated school are a big improvement on what was available to students previously. Students love going to these spaces, she says. It's shown them that it's possible for them to get the best regardless of their background or demographics. Greater Shepparton Secondary College was built to hold about 3,000 students, but last year only 2,083 were enrolled, a drop from 2,269 students in 2020 and 562 fewer than the combined figure for the final year when the four pre-existing public schools were open in 2018. More affluent parents have continued to turn to or remain in the independent and Catholic schools in Shepparton. My school data shows their students perform above Greater Shepparton Secondary College on NAPLAN. Michael Skiffer, president of the Armidale Teachers Association, says restoring trust in public education needs to start with a narrative shift from the top.
In my view, the conservative side of politics are part of the problem in creating this negative view of public schools, he says. Governments need to talk about the fact that public schools provide equal opportunities for kids to reach their potential in life. And now I'll pass over to Andy for the rest of the article. Thanks, Dale. Enrolling in diversity. Part of the problem is simply one of perception about standards in public schools. The OECD's Program for International Student Assessment, PISA, studies show the results of both Australia's government and non-government schools fell between 2009 and 2018. But public schools had the smaller drop. It was also the only sector to not have a significant drop in reading and literacy, according to PISA. Skiffer says attracting more students from affluent backgrounds back to the public system is a win-win. The PISA data underlines that on average, students from a low socioeconomic background perform better in schools that also have students from a high socioeconomic background. And students from a high socioeconomic background tend to perform just as well at a public school as they do at a private school. Skiffer says governments could consider adjusting ATAR ranks according to a school's socioeducation disadvantage. Similar moves in Texas and California have helped draw middle-class families back to neighbourhood public schools, he says. Dr Tracy Woodroff, a Waramungu Luritja woman and an education expert at Charles Darwin University, says in relation to Indigenous students, governments need to consult more with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander parents and also calls for a concerted effort to train more Indigenous teachers, currently only 2% of the workforce. We get the annual NAPLAN report that shows that Indigenous students are performing below their non-Indigenous peers, and that's even more the case for remote Indigenous students, she says. I believe people don't know enough about the diversity of Indigenous peoples across Australia, and programs that are implemented are often one-size-fits-all. She says meeting the specific needs of a community would benefit the broader community. If a school has a good reputation, they're going to get more students and more enrolments and better educational results. So really, that cross-cultural communication and learning benefits all our kids. Tom Greenwell, the author of Waiting for Gonski, How Australia Failed at Schools, says ultimately all schools should be free to reduce the concentration of disadvantage in certain schools and boost education outcomes. He argues that in return for full government funding, each school should have an obligation to enrol a student population that reflects the socio-educational advantage of their community, as is the case in the Canadian province of Ontario. Catholic schools in Ontario are the same as Australian Catholic schools in their ethos, in their curriculum, in their governance, he says, but they're as public as Australian public schools in that they're free, there's no fees required, and they enrol on an inclusive basis. He admits such structural transformation would take time and says in the immediate term, the national school reform agreements should clearly articulate the purpose of public funding to private schools. There's all sorts of rationales that float around, like we want to increase choice or reduce fees, but public funding increases and fees keep going up. So actually, we're not improving choice or saving taxpayer money, so these rationales fall away, he says. We need to explicitly say what we are hoping to achieve by doing things this way. Only then can we maximise the potential benefits of this approach and minimise the potential harm. And look, I've got to read between the lines here. And what, what he's saying is that there is no really good reason to give money to the private system as it currently stands. Um, the evidence as provided by the studies that were mentioned above, you know, the PISA studies, is that in fact... The, the best value for the whole community is to uh, properly fund the public system. 
And my further comment, as Andy, is that, you know, if we were to explicitly say why private schools are funded in the way they are, we would end up saying that it's not about the educational interests of all of Australians. It is actually about maintaining the status quo and it's about pandering to vested interests. Back to you, Jean. Well, Andy's quite right. The vested interests are certainly running everybody ragged and they are stamping around like old Mr Scrooge in the, in the uh, Treasury, in the public Treasury, particularly in Canberra. But public schools, meanwhile, are struggling as St Poshos builds wellness centres with taxpayer money. And Sorrel's going to tell us all about that. Over to you, Sorrel. Thanks, Jean. So this article was written by Van Badham and was published originally in The Guardian. It is entitled, Public Schools Are Struggling as St. Poshos Builds Wellness Centres with Taxpayer Money. It's Wrong and Unfair. The disturbing underfunding of public schools hurts education and drives teachers away. Governments have to do better. The Guardian Australia series published this week has borne disturbing news about Australia's ongoing education inequality crisis. Government funding to private schools has increased almost twice as much as funding to the uh, public school system that educates the overwhelming majority of Australia's children. From 2012 to 2021, per-student funding to independent and Catholic schools rose by 34% and 31% respectively, while funding to public schools increased by just 17%. Private institutions, by definition, do not serve the public good. This whopping misdirection of shared resources away from shared outcomes is corrosive to the nation's long-term educational interest, as well as morally disgusting. How were things allowed to get so bad? One suspects cashed-up private school lobbyists with handy lists of swing voter parents in marginal seats might be part of the reason. Another part is the habit of nervous, aspirational parents to yank their kids from the local co-ed whenever the material differences between the two systems are spoken of too loudly. This depletes the public system of advocates with the resources and socio-political position to campaign for equalisation. Structural unfairness is entrenched and expanding. Yet if this is spoken of in the media, the problem gets worse. And if it doesn't get spoken of in the media, well, the problem still gets worse. But there is good news. Now that record numbers of overworked and underpaid public school teachers are being driven out of the profession from exhaustion, we can finally have an honest conversation, because it can't get worse than this. Fair play to Australia's private school administrations. They've grown fat on the marketing insight that Australians might believe in fairness, but in fact there is a strange class-based FOMO, fear of my child missing out, that can make it even the most yoga-loving leftist parents glance at an article about tough times at Resilience High and ship little Zircon and Bethesda off to St. Poshos faster than you can say Spiritual Wellness Centre and Helipad. That's what taxpayers are funding at these least-in-need institutions. Given the fees they collect and investment portfolios they assemble are enough to pay the teachers and mow the lawns. 
Rowing tanks, wellness centres, archery fields, and other huge investments in non-educational FAF exist so St. Poshos can provide an offering distinct from their competitors, like Santa Privileger down the road. Ooh, Bethesda, an intimate otter sanctuary. Would you prefer that, or the school with a harpist enclave made of gold? Are kids really being sent to these schools for the pastoral care on offer? These secretive, sometimes unaccountable institutions often gain more notoriety for having cultures of bullying and coercive behaviour, sometimes even from the students. Nothing says character of the school quite like a Four Corners investigation, am I right? So the lure must be the facilities. Otherwise, it could only be classism. And how could it possibly be classism when everyone wants to remind you that there are poor and working class kids at the elite college for academically average boys too? Just, you know, in a safely contained amount, as opposed to their truly terrifying proportion in the broader community. Shh, no one mention entry is policed by capacity to pay. Not one Australian student, not one, is left educationally more enriched by any of this, not by classism or school tie rah-rah, or because some private school mucked up their classrooms like perfect replicas of Stanford's. Yes, I'm not even joking. Kids remain kids. In churning every combination of good, bad, adept and clumsy at all manner of tasks wherever you put them. Study after study reconfirms that private or public, a student's educational performance remains based on what it has always been based on, an educationally encouraging, economically secure, stable home environment. Spoiler alert, if private schools could imbue pupils with talents they did not otherwise possess, the whole concept of scholarships would not exist. You do not need a spaceport or a horse museum at your school to get a great education. You do need enough physical staff to push the words, numbers, set squares, paintbrushes and craftwork albums, bless you forever Miss Andrews, at the kids and say go on have a crack at this. In Australia's public schools this most basic resource is now under threat. Rather than invest in a public system that achieves more with less, our governments have, alone in the world, spent years redirecting funds away from public school teachers into the inconceivable inconceivable private frippery of sad Hogwarts cosplay. Who is surprised that Australian educational performance has been in decline for 20 years? Public school teachers become public school teachers because they don't want to police anyone out of an education. My own zealous loyalty to the public system lies in a gratitude that when my dad was in and out of work, my family broke, my home life chaotic, my teachers clung to me and refused to let me drown. We don't have to let anyone drown. We don't have to waste a single Australian brain. We can afford to restore public school funding and retrain our teachers because we can't afford not to. Very powerful message by Van Badham there. Uh, Back over to you, Jean. Well, uh, thank you, Sorrel. Uh, We'll have a bit of a break now. 
it's all about a voice in our own country. We've got a reason to discriminate out where's our voice in this country. You know, not that I want to be a part of the Constitution for that, you know. That's why 3CR is so important to, to me and this community here. We've got a voice, but it's not, you know, we're entitled to a bigger voice than what we've got, but it's all about having a voice. Subscribe to 3CR, fiercely independent and community controlled. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 03 9419 8377. Well, thank you uh, for the break, but uh, you're still listening to the Dogs Program, I hope. And uh, the issue of the day in education is the lack of teachers. And because of the increased funding to the private schools, thanks to Mr Morrison and uh, well, going back to Mr Howard, actually going back to Mr Menzies, the private schools can buy the teachers out of the public system with bigger salaries. Actually, a lot of teachers in the private schools are worked very, very hard because their, their conditions are worse than the, in the public system. They don't have such a strong union. But um, here is Dale to tell us about how the increased funding has left the private schools better able to attract teachers with nice big pay packets. Over to you, Dale. Thanks, Jean. This is another article by Jordan Beasley. Increased funding has left private schools better able to attract teachers, public school principals say. The funding gap since Gonski is playing out in hot competition for teachers, the Federation says. Increases in funding to the private education system have enabled it to attract teachers despite a nationwide shortage due to its ability to bump up salaries, according to the head of the New South Wales Secondary Principals Council. Craig Peterson, who represents the principals of public schools across the state, said not only do public schools not have the budget to compete, but they were also restricted from lifting teachers' salaries above the award wage. If you're trying to fill a position at your non-government school, you can offer five to ten to $20,000 bonuses and you can provide other perks for them. He said it's really hard for someone to knock that back. It comes as Guardian Australia revealed funding to independent and Catholic schools has increased almost twice as much compared with public schools in the decade since the landmark Gonski Review, which set out a roadmap to fund schools according to their need. Peterson said teachers were also struggling under the strain of a public school system underfunded to deliver to the needs of its students. Our classrooms are incredibly complex because of the diversity, because we're not adequately funded and because we never got those final years of the additional Gonski funding, he said. The president of the New South Wales Teachers Federation, Angelo Gavrilatis, agreed the consequences of the funding increase divide between public and private schools was playing out in the hot competition for teachers. He pointed to the principal of Skeggs Darlinghurst, an independent school in Sydney, saying at the Sydney Morning Herald School Summit earlier this year that the school paid top-of-the-scale teachers $135,000. The top bracket in the public system is currently 117,000. 
The answer to this lies in governments fulfilling their responsibilities to ensure every classroom has a qualified teacher, and that must be through competitive salaries and manageable workloads. Graham Catt, the Chief Executive of Independent Schools Australia, said the 1,200 independent schools across Australia had vastly differing resourcing and operational capabilities, with some likely being in a better position to attract and retain teachers than others. For other independent schools which are focused on providing the lowest fees possible for parents, he said they would struggle to find the revenue to provide teachers an additional pay rise. The workforce issues is across every sector and I think it's by working together and through the review of the National School Reform Agreement that we have our best chance of solving that, Cat said. But Peterson said the finding that public school funding had not increased as much as private schools was an enormous disappointment, but he was not surprised. It's no surprise to me because this is exactly what we've been warning against for well over a decade, he said. Patrick Murphy, the president of the Queensland Association of State School Principals, said he was also seeing a downgrading of facilities across the state's public schools from the loss of art and music programs to sports and language. Those programs get dropped because they can't afford the teachers where others can, he said. But it also meant schools have limited ability to provide other crucial staffing resources which can help build a child's learning capability for the rest of their lives, such as psychologists, occupational therapists and speech pathologists. He said this was a resource most critical in schools located in rural and remote areas where these services were limited compared with metro areas. Murphy said he was also seeing the consequences of state governments not reaching their obligation to fund public schools at 80%. The disappointing fact is the Queensland government has not lifted from 89.6% of the SRS for students in Queensland, he said. When NAPLAN results are not moving, we shouldn't be blaming schools, we should be blaming the system that under-invests. Back to you, Jean. Well, the increased funding to private schools isn't just enabling them to buy teachers out of the public system, it's also enabling them to have the most wonderful uh, capital works while the public schools go big. And Andy's going to tell us about that. Over to you, Andy. Thanks, Jean. This is an article by Jordan Beasley and published in The Guardian on Sunday the 23rd of July. New South Wales public schools are in disrepair, but Capital Works funding is failing to materialise. A decade after the Gonski Review said governments should boost school spending, the divide between public and private has only widened. When a pitch for state funding for his daughter's high school in Sydney's north was accepted, James Wiggins thought he would finally see the dilapidated school redeveloped and it would begin to claw back dwindling enrolments. It was hoped the money would, to name a few items off the wish list, replace the gas lines used for experiments in the science labs which were too dangerous to use in certain classrooms, upgrade facilities that had not been updated since Wiggins graduated from the school in 1980, and replace the leaking roof, which has left mould and damp marks all over the walls. But Wiggins says the funding for Narrabeen Sports High School was whittled down to a point where straight repairs are no longer feasible, let alone refurbishment. They've eroded any opportunity or any ability to even result in a decent school, says Wiggins, who is head of the school's PNC. The students don't want a five-star hotel. They just want an environment that respects them as human beings. When the Gonski Review was released in 2012, 
Alongside setting a needs-based model designed to provide a baseline education to students by 2023, it recommended that governments boost their capital work spending on schools. The review found that poor infrastructure in public schools was affecting staff and teacher morale, as well as school enrolments. But a decade on, Karina Haythorpe, the president of the Australian Education Union, says the public school system is still dealing with major infrastructure needs. Haythorpe says while the states have increased their capital works funding to public schools, it is not enough to cover the gap left by the Commonwealth Government scrapping its recurrent capital works contribution to public schools in 2017. That decision further deepened an already large divide between public and private school infrastructure, she says, as the Commonwealth continued its recurrent funding of private schools. A 2021 report into school funding commissioned by the union found that between 2013 and 2018, for every dollar invested per child for facilities in a private school, a public school would get between 27 and 50 cents. In the 2023-24 budget, the Albanese government committed $215 million to capital works for public schools, but Haythorpe says the government needs to restore a recurrent funding pool. We want to see a permanent fund established, she says. It's the right of every child to go to school in a high-quality teaching environment. The independent member for McKellar, Sophie Scamps, says she toured Narrabeen High School earlier this month after being invited by the school community. She was shocked by what she saw. I just couldn't believe there was a school that was like that in Australia in this day and age, she says. It was unsafe. In 2018, Wiggins says the school made a combined pitch with the local primary school for upwards of $100 million to repair the school, while the coalition was in government in New South Wales. The school ended up with about half that, with the bulk of the money going to the primary school and the secondary school set to receive $19.5 million. But the money is yet to materialise. A spokesperson for the New South Wales Education Minister, Prue Carr, says the school community has a right to be disappointed about the project stalling under the previous government, and the new government is committed to delivering upgrades. Wiggins says the delay is having an impact on enrolments, with Narrabeen Sports High School losing about 50 students between years 10 and 11 each year to other schools. It's not all to do with the school's state of disrepair, but Wiggins says it has spurred a self-perpetuating cycle. Part of the overall perception is that because of the visual, the physical state of the school, the teaching experience or the learning experience must be better at a school that's better maintained. And to be honest, there is some truth to that, he says. But it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because it means if our best students leave, then we have worse HSC results and it becomes a domino effect. Craig Peterson, the head of the New South Wales Secondary Principals Council, tells a similar story. Wherever I go, it's a similar conversation. Our teachers are doing great things, we're delivering the same curriculum, but parents are choosing to go past the local public school because it's that standard 50-year-old boring box brick design. It looks run down, he says, and they're going down the road to the private school. And whether it's a brand new non-government school or it's an old sandstone one, it looks impressive. Wiggins says he is concerned many of his daughter's school teachers were attracted by the promised redevelopment and he fears it is wearing thin. I'm scared all these enthusiastic young teachers and the experienced older teachers are going to say, well, it's never happening. I'm leaving. Back to you, Jean. Well, thank you, Andy. And we'll have a bit of a break now and come back with a really interesting article from America. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM. 
Visit the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au forward slash podcast to hear the most recent recording from each show or 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming to listen live. I'm Jeffrey. I'm Alphonse. I'm Erwin. And we, we are, are from, from the Voice of West Papua. Tuesday, 6.30 until 7.30 p.m. News and music from West Papua. Well, uh, we have a very interesting article now over in America in Utah. Uh, there was a, there's a parents of I think it is the Mormon faith uh, who are um, really annoyed at a local local public school of all things because their son has gone against their religious belief and engaged in premarital sex. Uh, yes. It should the school be responsible for this over to Sol. Thanks, Jean. So we have an article by Rob Boston who is telling us about what is going on over in Utah. A Utah high school student ignored his church's teachings on premarital sex. His public school isn't responsible for that. People are making increasingly strange arguments about what constitutes a violation of religious freedoms. Thankfully, courts aren't buying in to all of them. A case in point comes from Utah, where parents who belong to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the LDS, sued a public school after learning that their son, known as JD in court papers, had sex with his girlfriend on school grounds during the final week of school in May of 2022. Officials at Sky Ridge High School in Lehigh were exercising fairly loose supervision over students during the final days of the school year, a not uncommon arrangement in many American public schools. The parents sued the school for being negligent, which is understandable but they added complaints that the school had somehow violated their religious freedom and right to parent. The judge was not persuaded. U.S. District Judge Jill Parrish rejected these claims whilst allowing a state court to consider the negligence claim. The parents were undoubtedly upset by their son's behaviour, but it is worth noting that he had been caught having sex with his girlfriend on other occasions not at the school, despite his parents' admonishments that the LDS church opposes premarital sex. Parrish ruled that the parents assert that the Alpine School District did not do enough to help them perform their religious obligations, and added, but the free exercise clause does not impose such a duty on government entities. The district has no constitutional duty to modify its internal procedures to further the family's religious goals. Public schools can't enforce religion. 
The school district, Parrish also noted, did not coerce JD into acting against his religious beliefs. He freely chose to have premarital sex with his girlfriend, even though this is against the teachings of his religion. The bottom line here is that JD apparently didn't find LDS teachings on sex before marriage terribly persuasive and chose to ignore them. One can argue that the school should have been keeping a closer eye on students at the end of the year, but officials there are simply not responsible for JD's decision to ignore his church's religious teachings. For that, the parents need to look inward. What a wild article there from Utah. Back to you, Jean. Well, while we're overseas, let's go to Jeff, our roaming expert. He's going to take us first to the UK and then back again to the United States. Over to you, Jeff. Thanks, Jean. I thought I'd mix it up a little bit today. Um, Start out in the UK with an article in the Telegraph, which by Louisa Clarence Smith... He's the education editor. And it's um, about the new Shadow Secretary Bridget Phillipson's interview, uh, tax breaks for private schools can't be justified. And I'm just going to read excerpts from it. Essentially, private school tax breaks. She says, central to Labor's education reforms are plans to scrap tax breaks for private schools, including VAT on fees. That would force tens of thousands of pupils to switch to the state sector. Policies are expected to pose more of a threat to a small niche independent schools than the likes of Eton and St Paul's. However, Ms Phillipson isn't interested in showing mercy to any worried parents and private school heads. For me, it's just straightforward question of, a, stra- a straightforward question of fairness, she says. I don't think the tax breaks private schools enjoy can be justified. And politics is about priorities and about choices. And the choice for me is how we use that extra revenue to drive up standards in our state schools where the vast majority of children will go. The Institute for Fiscal Studies think tank said this week that the attack on private schools would deliver a net boost to public finances by between 1.3 and 1. Uh, billion and 1.5 billion, lower than the 1.6 billion forecast by Labor, and only a 2% increase in state school spending. We have covered this before. But it predicted that up to 40,000 privately educated pupils will be forced into the state sector because of higher fees. Ms Phillipson refuses to say whether or not there would be a consultation on the policies before they are implemented, but she says she is keen to start raising extra revenue to invest in state schools as soon as possible. I think what we're seeing from the IFS this week demonstrates that our approach is fiscally sound and there is a strong rationale for pressing ahead, she says. What is her message to those families who will be priced out of private schools because of her policy? My priority as Education Secretary would be to make state schools so good that middle-class parents don't feel that they have to look to the private sector, she says. And, you know, increasingly, private schools are out of reach of so many middle-class professionals that in the past might have chosen a private school, but now with the cost of housing, with the fact that private schools have whacked up their fees way beyond inflation over the last decade, um, it's time for them to go back to comprehensive. Uh, I'm, I'm abridging that. And uh, I just wanted to mention that uh, this girl, she, she rose up in real poverty. She never met her father, worked, who worked nearby as a teacher and took no interest in supporting him financially, she says. She credits the education she receives at a Catholic comprehensive for help, uh, helping her to get to Oxford University, where she studied modern history and was co-chairman of the university labour group. Asked the university if she went back to the northeast, where she worked at Sunderland Council, before being elected as prospective parliamentary candidate in 2009. 
she was 26 when she was elected in 2010. And anyway, I just think it's a really positive move. She's a young professional Labor minister who really cares about education and she really cares about making it fair. Uh, I think that the dogs will be looking forward to something similar happening in Australia one day. And now we're going to, I'm just going to briefly touch on an article about uh, Bangladesh. This is in the Daily Star. It's an article um, by Manzoor Ahmed on the 24th of June. And it's just, I'm just going to read an excerpt, but he says, commenting, it's education in a national budget, a dialogue of the deaf. Commenting on the education allocation in the proposed national budget for 23-24 fiscal year in a previous column in this daily, this author said, Bangladesh's education system needs a much larger public investment, but the desired results can only be achieved when the priorities, programs and strategies for effective action are in place and backed up by a high level of political decisions. Following the presentation of the budget and during pre-budget public discussions, the arguments and pleas have been voiced by civil society bodies, academics, act activists and concerned citizens. They have challenged the decision makers to match the government rhetoric about prioritising education with action in funding and more result-focused and accountable use of resources. The Centre for Policy Dialogue, CPD, and the Citizens Platform for SDG hosted a discussion titled National Budgets in Bangladesh, Myths and Realities on June 7th, as the budget deliberation began in Parliament. In presenting his observations, CPD Distinguished Fellow Deba Priya Bhattachara, forgive my pronunciation, pointed at the overall inconsistencies between the myths expressed in expectations about resources, investments, GDP growth and curbing inflation and the realities of the current and likely economic scenario affecting these parameters. He reiterated that public resources for education were utterly inadequate to achieve the objectives of enhancing skills and capabilities of the next generation for an aspiring higher middle-income smart Bangladesh. The global median value for government expenditure on education is 4.45% of GDP. In Bangladesh, it was only 1.83% in financial year 2023 and is even lower at 1.76% in 2024. So anyway, just that's an excerpt from the concerns that Bangladesh, which is a, a, ostensibly a very, very poor country, uh, and they're reducing the expenditure of public on public education significantly, which doesn't seem to me or to them to be a very smart move if you want to raise the GDP of your country and the overall education level in a technologically complex world. Now, we're going to finish off with our favourite blog, which is from Diana Ravitch, and this is an article uh, from July 30th, 2023, and um, Diana Ravitch's blog in the, in the United States is, of course, very supportive of public education. It's all about public education. And the, the article is The Big Lie About America's Public Schools and the Scheme to Privatise Them. Diana says, American public schools were one of the glories of the nation until recently. Politicians hailed them as a symbol of democracy, a public institution open to all, supported by taxpayers and controlled by elected local boards. Local business leaders frequently served on local school boards. Americans broadly understood that the schools prepared the rising generation to be good citizens and to sustain our democracy. Certain principles were taken for granted, 
Public funds were never used to fund religious schools. Teachers and principals were career professionals, often the most educated members of their community, and were respected. This is not to say that everything was rosy. I've written several books about the controversies that rocked the schools, especially over desegregation, which encountered vehement resistance in both the South and the North. But despite the battles over race, curriculum and other matters, the public schools garnered high praise from the public and elected officials. However, this iconic symbol began to take a drubbing in 1983 when the Reagan-era National Commission on Excellence in Education released its harshly negative report called A Nation at Risk. The Commission claimed that the nation's schools were mired in a sea of mediocrity, that test schools were on a downward spiral, and that the nation's public schools were responsible for the loss of major industries to other nations. The reaction to the report was immediate. States set up task forces and commissions to find solutions to the school's crises. Higher standards for students and teachers, more time in school, tougher curricula, etc., etc. The one refrain that became the legacy of a nation at risk was, our schools are failing. But we now know that the report was a hoax. James Harvey, who worked on the Commission's staff, explained that the books were cooked to produce a negative result. The data was cherry-picked to paint the schools in the worst possible light. The conclusions were a lie. The report ignored positive findings and chose to ignore the students living in poverty, the students with disabilities and the other socioeconomic challenges facing the nation's schools. So today, relying on the big lie of 1983, our schools are failing, ideologues, grifters, tax cutters, religious interests and others have joined forces to grab the money now devoted to public schools. To the original big lie have been added new big lies to advance the cause of privatisation and profits. Big lie number one. Test scores are reliable indicators of the school and teacher quality. This simple but wrong idea was the basis for No Child Left Behind and Race to the Top. These are programs in the United States. It overlooks the well-known fact that test scores are highly correlated with family income and are influenced more by home conditions than by teachers or schools. Hundreds, perhaps thousands of public schools were closed because of their inability to meet high test score goals. All of the the closed schools were in impoverished communities. Thousands of teachers were penalised or fired because they taught the children with the biggest challenges, those who didn't speak English, those with severe disabilities, those whose lives were in turmoil due to extreme poverty. Big lie number two, teachers need not be professional to get good results. Inexperienced teachers with high expectations and a few weeks of training will get better results than career professionals. This lie undercut the profession, undermined respect for teachers and was the founding myth of Teach for America, another program. Big lie number three, the private sector will run schools more effectively than local government Therefore, we will need more charter schools. But the charter sector has spawned scandals with private entrepreneurs embezzling millions of dollars for themselves. Some charters get high test scores by excluding weak students. Some get high scores by attrition of weak students. Many charter schools close every year due to academic or financial problems. On average, charter schools do not get better results than public schools. Big lie number four. Vouchers will produce higher test scores. But 
voucher schools funded with taxpayer dollars are usually exempt from state testing and are not accountable as public schools are. Where voucher students do take state tests, they fall farther and farther behind their peers in public schools. Now that it's well known that voucher schools are academically behind public schools, their proponents have moved, in, moved the goalposts to say, parents should choose no matter what the studies show about test scores. The Republican Party, with few exceptions, has swallowed these big lies and is intent on giving every student, regardless of income, a voucher to attend a religious school, a private school or home school. For the first time in two centuries, the very concept of public schools is in jeopardy. 90% of Americans were educated in public schools. That 90% made America a successful nation by most measures. Public schools built bridges amongst diverse communities. What will the new paradigm contribute to our nation? Anyway, with that article, I will uh, pass back to you. Jean, thank you very much. Thank you, Jeff. And now for our good news story, our great state school of the week. Every week on the Doctor Program, we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. State schools are great schools. School of the week. State school. School of the week. Great state schools. State schools. School of the week. School for the week here on the Dogs Program. And this week's Great State School of the Week is Greater Shepparton Secondary College. We spoke about Greater Shepparton Secondary College earlier in this program, so we thought we'd feature them as our Great State School. And now here's an overview of the college from their website. Greater Shepparton Secondary College was formed by the merger of four secondary colleges in Shepparton and Maroopna as part of the Shepparton Education Plan. We occupied our new college in Horden Street in 2022. The ILSP campus in Wilmot Road is also an integral component of the college and has been created to serve the needs of the students requiring more supports than are available in the mainstream settings. Greater Shepparton City Council, GSCC, located 180 kilometres north of Melbourne with a population of 66,000, is the fifth largest city in regional Victoria and consists of Shepparton City, Maroopna and Tatura. 75% of the municipality's population live in Shepparton and Maroopna. The area is a culturally and linguistically diverse community with almost one quarter of the population born overseas, including recent arrivals and refugees from Africa and the Middle East. It has Victoria's largest concentration of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people outside of Melbourne. The establishment of the new secondary college in Shepparton is the initial phase of the Shepparton Education Plan, which aims to improve educational outcomes for P-12 and beyond. The plan will improve transitions, pathways and opportunities for students through improving teacher capacity, resources and a contemporary school infrastructure. The Shepparton Education Plan and the creation of a revitalised secondary school model is the outcome of longer-term work by schools and consultation with the community to collaboratively improve learning opportunities, community engagement and educational outcomes. 
The college comprises approximately 2,500 students arranged in nine houses of 300 year 7 to 12 students. New school facilities with contemporary shared teaching and learning spaces and specialist areas. Hubs for specialist subject delivery, including STEM Enterprise Centre of Excellence and Student Wellbeing. The location of the new college was the site of the former Shepparton High School in Horden Street, Shepparton. This site offers many opportunities, being in close proximity to the Shepparton campuses of La Trobe and Melbourne Universities and Goulburn Ovens TAFE, and to commercial and cultural precincts. This supports the development of student pathways options and community engagement. The transformational change involved in the development of the new secondary college attracts teaching and staff applicants with skills that support a high level of engagement and consultation with students, staff, parents and the broader community as the culture, learning focus and organisation of the campus is developed, implemented and refined. Now some facts and figures from ACARA. They have an enrolment currently of 2,083 pupils and an ICSIA value of 918 which is well below the, the average of 1,000. So there's 4% of students with parents in the highest income quartile, 12% of students with parents in the second quartile, 28% of students in the lower middle class quartile and 56% of students have parents in the poorest quartile of the community. So really a school with many disadvantaged students with 31% speaking a language other than English at home and 13% Indigenous students. Their finances, recurrent grants from the Australian government are 8.9 million and from the Victorian government, 34.8 million. Fees and parental contributions come to 477,000 and other private contributions come to 2.9 million. So per pupil, it's around $21,000 to send a student to this school. Of their graduates, 19% go to university, 43% go on to TAFE and 21% and go on to employment. NAPLAN data is not available, but congratulations, you are our Great State School of the Week, Greater Shepparton Secondary College. Well, that was a nice story and uh, we started off with uh, Shepparton and we ended with Shepparton, I suppose, today. But in the middle, we talked a lot about uh, the problems with the funding of Australian education, which really goes to the fact that we give state aid to private schools. Uh, who discriminate against children and uh, are having an absolutely wonderful time in the Treasury, like Mr Scrooge, as I said. And people, of course, in, in the articles we've, we've been reading today are saying that this is uh, a problem of the last decade since Gonski, but actually it's a problem that goes back to 1964 when the dogs said that once you gave state aid to private schools, this was going to happen. We don't like to say we told you so, but we can say we told you so. And if you find out, want to find out more about us, you can go to our website at www.adogs.info and you'll find their information that goes back at least to 1998. But uh, our time is gone and thank you to our wonderful producer, Dale, and her helpers with Andy and Sorrel and uh, Jeff, of course. So 
from all of us, it's bye for now. listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.